Yes, for all of you naysayers, I did get a mannequin. You're like creepy. Yes. Welcome to Element. We're a little bit creepy but harmless, apparently. If you didn't get sermon notes, raise your hands. Everybody in the room needs sermon notes this morning. Everybody. If you didn't get them, raise your hand. So again, at the barbecue, uh, I, think the, I think the announcement was messed up. I think it's A through Z needs to bring dessert. <laughs> Just throwing it out there for you. Just throwing it out. Uh, if you are new here this morning, welcome to Element. Please don't judge us based on the crazy mannequin in the front row. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. You can have one. If you forgot one, you can grab one and use one this morning. Uh, there are, again, hopefully you all have sermon notes. There's questions on the back. You can ask your friends after you leave here today, and hopefully one of them are not. wasn't that creepy. Uh, our, just to let you know, you can also follow along on your smartphone. You can download version. It actually will find you by where we're at when you hit live, and you can download the sermon notes on that as well, if you're so inclined, because it's just amazing. Also, just to let you know, our softball team, E1, we won our division. It's wonderful. Now, I'll tell you about this. This is great, because we're playing, and it was the first game Mikey, our sound guy, had been, not different sound guy, had been to all season long. And so he gets there, and we're playing, and uh, seriously, our infield was just amazing. Amazing on Monday night. Jason Castillo. Amazing. And Jason's like catching it behind his back, through his legs. It's amazing. So I'm sitting next to Mikey, and he goes, he goes man, you guys, you're, you guys have gotten so much better. And I go, it's just tonight. I, and he goes, no, really, so much better than the last time. And I go, no, no, it's just tonight. But they're awesome. So anyway, we won. We'll get t-shirts. We got a creepy trophy that <laughs> Carrie Spencer won. So uh, she can hang it up. It, it'll be wonderful. Why don't you stand with me? Reading God's Word. We'll get going and hopefully you understand why we got a creepy mannequin on the stage this morning. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, and it says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us as your people and that you would make us those who learn to forgive as you forgave. That our hearts would not hold animosity towards others, but we would live in the freedom that you long to provide us as your kids. Amen. Have a seat. If you have a Bible, you can open to Esther chapter 9. That's where we're at this morning. Uh, this is week 13. got two more weeks after this week, and we're done with Esther. And you've got to be impressed. Like Every time we do a book of the Bible, it's like forever. It's great. Today we're going to look at how far is too far. Uh, revenge and all those kind of themes that go together, how keeping record of wrongs hurts us more than it does other people. And you're going to love my wrap-up and background of Esther this morning because it's short. Uh, simply, Esther goes like this so far. There's a young Jew named Esther who becomes a queen in Persia. One of the officials in Persia gets angry at another, uh, at a guy named Mordecai who was a Jew, decides to kill all the Jews in the land of Persia. Mordecai comes to Queen Esther, says, do something. Esther does. She eventually gets the man who wrote the decree to kill all the Jews killed. Ta-da, there you go. That decree, though, that was issued, it's a royal order. It cannot be revoked. So Esther and Mordecai write a second order that simply states that the Jews get to defend themselves because Jews are now in favor and many people rally behind them. Uh, the Persians side with the Jews and it becomes a slaughter. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about revenge. In this chapter, the Jews kill 75,000 non-Jews. 
sometimes things go a little bit overboard. So we're going to read it. We'll read it all, then we will talk about it. Okay, Esther chapter 9, starting in verse 1, goes like this. On the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king to be the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. Now, this is nine months since what we talked about last week. Time just flies apparently when you're having fun. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. So there are these people. They wanted to get rid of the Jews and to kill them. Self-defense is great. The Bible never speaks against self-defense. It never when it says turn the other cheek. It has nothing to do with stand there and get yourself beat up. That is not what it means. So self-defense is okay. It says, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those seeking their destruction. This does not mean that people actually attacked them. This means that at one point these people were seeking their destruction. It does not mean they were even attacked. It means that now they go out and they attack other people who had hated them in the beginning. Uh, no one could stand against them because of the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them and all the nobles of the provinces the satraps the governors and the king's administrators helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them Mordecai was prominent in the palace his reputation spread throughout the provinces and he became more and more powerful the Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword killing and destroying them and they did what they pleased to those who hated them in the citadel of Susa the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. These would be members of the royal court. They also killed Parshadantha, if I brutalize a name, sorry. Parshadantha, Dalphon, Espatha, Poratha, Adalia, Aradatha. Don't name your kid these because I'll never remember them and I won't be able to say it. Parmashta, Arasai, Aradai, and Vaizatha. The ten sons of Haman, Hamadatha, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. I'll explain that in just a second. The number of those slain in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the ten sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? Because now he might be a little afraid because the Jews are rising up. It will be given you. What is your request? It will also be granted. This is like the princess bride. It's like, as you wish. If it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also, so they want another day for more killing, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. This means impaled on a stake. His sons are already dead. This is simply for vengeance. This is to take them and to disgrace them in front of everybody. So this now becomes vengeance and retribution. Verse 14, so the king commanded that this be done. And an edict was issued in Susa, and they hanged or impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa 300 men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now, what this is referencing is Mordecai, the guy who is now one of the most powerful people in the land of Persia, who is a Jew. He is a descended relative of a guy named Saul. When Saul was king... In 1 Kings chapter 15, what happens is God says, you're going to go to war, there's a king, an Amalekite king, his name is Agag. And when you fight him, you need to kill them all. But don't take the plunder. And so what does Saul do? He attacks, kills some of them, lets the king lives, and takes the plunder. He does the exact opposite of what God calls him to do. And so what the Jews here do is they say, okay, well, we're keeping score, so we're going to make this right. We're not going to take the plunder, but we're going to kill everybody. And so they think they're doing... This is crazy. Verse 16. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who are in the king's... Oh, wait. 
Yeah. The meanwhile, the remainder Jews were in the king's provinces, also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. See, there it is again. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and the 14th day they arrested and made it a day of feasting and joy. It actually translates party day. It's kind of fun after I kill everybody. Verse 18, the Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and on the 15th day they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That's their party day. This is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observed the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. Okay, now, before we start, i got to tell you this. I am not anti-war. I guess sometimes I am, but sometimes I'm not. Uh, This is what happens, though. Sometimes people get oppressed, and they get hurt, and then they want to fight I am never against defending the the helpless and the weak and the oppressed and the poor. But many times, you look at what happens when people get out of control and they do out of control things. The unbridled slaughter that takes place in the book of Esther, a lot of people have problems with. And I actually do too. People fault the Bible for being a bloody book. And it is a bloody book. But it is the only book about a, a scripture showing who, who their God is that is completely honest about people. You look at every other religion, it's like, oh, we're wonderful people, everybody else is terrible. The Bible's like, everybody's terrible. Everybody's terrible. God is good. That is the scriptures. And so they show you how even people who claim God's name do crazy and stupid things sometimes. They claim things in the name of God even when they're not truly following God. You see what happens when men take things into their own hands. The Jews are in exile. They are conquered again and again. And it is building up inside of them. And retribution feels so good against someone when you get hurt. This is what happens when we keep a wrong of how people had hurt us. This, in Esther, is a record of revenge. Henry Nouwen actually said to be a fully functioning human being, we must learn to forgive and be forgiven. The early church fathers, what they would teach is that forgiveness is something you have to learn. It is like a skill. It's not something we are naturally born with. We do not naturally like or long to forgive other people around us. It's why we like to keep a record of wrongs. But we're supposed to get very good at it because you will learn to have to do it a lot in your life. You will have to forgive people because not everybody is perfect like you. So three weeks ago, we talked, about, we talked about forgiveness, and I told you these things, and I want you to remember these as we go through what we talk about today, that forgiving is not condoning. Forgiving is not condoning. You are not condoning someone's actions or abuse when you forgive them. Forgiving is also not always forgetting. Sometimes forgiving means you have to remember. If a guy abuses a woman, she needs to remember that and get out of the situation. Forgiveness is a heart issue where you set people free inside of your heart that you no longer hold animosity towards them. Forgiving does not always mean reconciliation. Sometimes it does not mean you will be friends again. Someone says to you, you're supposed to forgive me. Let me back into your life. Sometimes you have to say, no, you're a crazy whirlwind of destruction and you're not coming back into my family's life. You still extend the love of God. Forgiveness takes one person, you. Reconciliation takes two people changing and becoming different. Forgiveness is also a different issue than justice. I told you it is even okay to call the police on people you have forgiven, and sometimes you need to. Forgiving is also personal. You do not forgive institutions or businesses. You forgive people. It is the one, three, ten people in that institution, in that business that hurts you. Forgiveness has to be personal. You cannot forgive a nameless, faceless entity. It is personal. And forgiveness is a process. It is one step at a time. And it may take you a lot of time before you change how you live, but we must change into people who live as if we are forgiven and we forgive others. So with that in mind, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. 
There's a progression in Matthew 18 that Jesus spoke about in forgiveness. It reminds me a lot of the Jews in Esther. We're hopefully going to make this relate to you. Uh, in the end, you'll hopefully see how this all works together when we pull it together. If you've never read Matthew chapter 18, you should read the whole thing in its entirety because it's awesome. It's amazing. Uh, it's how it, it just builds on top of itself. But we're going to start in verse 21. So Matthew 18, verse 21, starts like this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. This is a reference back to Cain and Abel and a guy named Lemek from Genesis chapter 4. It's about violence starting small and then escalating. It's a Jewish way of saying forgive endlessly. So then Jesus gives this parable, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 10,000 talents is like 10,000 bags of gold. Uh, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. And the word patient here means big-hearted. So it says, be big-hearted with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. The word pity is the word splanchnizomai. Yeah, bless you. There you go. Uh, and, and it literally means move from your bowels, from the depths of who you are. Move from your bowels. So the servant's master was moved from his bowels, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This is a few silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger... This is righteous anger. His master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Which I think is an amazing parable because it's all about grace and it ends with torture. I'm like, nice. It's great. Uh, verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So I hope in the next few moments to maybe illustrate to this a bit with you. you hopefully you become very uncomfortable with the story. You have to imagine the Jews and what we talk about that they have generations of being pushed down and held down, and then they kind of jump back and they get this retribution on the Persians. So in Jesus' parable, the first character you have, he's a king. Okay? And the king does what, what kings do. They rule and apparently lend out money. There's a second person in the story. He's a servant number one, but we're going to call him man number one because yes. it's bigger on the hat and it looks better. So he's man number one, and the man number one likes to borrow a lot of money. We don't know what he does with it, but apparently he likes to borrow a lot of money, and other people owe him money. Then you have servant number two, which we call man number two, who also likes to borrow money, just not as much as the first guy. So here we go. Ready? The kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts. In the process, he finds a man who owes him 10,000 talents, and he says to him, You owe me 10,000 talents. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children all they had to be sold to repay the debt. But the man fell on his knees and he pleads with the king. Oh, king, please be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. The king had pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. The servant finds out he knows someone who owes him what would equal about 100 days wages. He grabs him and begins to choke him. And he says, That doesn't distract me. You owe me money. Sweet Lord Jesus. 
Wait a minute, wait a minute. This man then falls on his knee. Falls on his knees and says, King, can't you see I don't have any money? My pants fall down. Please be patient with me. But he refused. Instead, he went up, had him thrown into prison until he prepaid the debt. There were other servants watching, and when they saw this, they ran and told their king what happened. The king pulls this man back in and says to him, You wicked servant, you should have shown mercy on your servant just like I showed mercy on you. In anger, the master from him ordered the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back the debt. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. There was a king who, in looking at his accounts, realized there was a servant who owed him a large sum of money. He said to his servant, just like Joel Rogan from UFC, Servant of mine, how does it feel for the people at home to know that you owe me 10,000 talents? <laughs> his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and his children everything he owed to pay the debt. The man fell down before the king and he begged, <laughs> Please be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. Just keep your pants on. <laughs> <laughs> the king was moved in his bowels and forgave the man's debt and let him go. Now let's back up just for a moment. The king decides to settle accounts. This means the king is a good businessman. The king has a ledger. He has pluses and minuses in his ledger. He's got red and black. The king does good business. Now, what Jesus wants you to see is the debt and how the debt all relates. One denarii is one, about one day's wages. One day's wages. 6,000 denarius make up one talent. The debt this man has is 10,000 talents. That is about 60 million days of work. So when Jesus tells the original hearers the story, their first thought is, how in the world do you get into that much debt? This isn't America. How do you do that? It's an unpayable amount. This is, this is not a story of a large sum of money versus a small sum of money. It is an unpayable sum of money versus something that is totally unpayable. So the king cancels debt, lets him go. The man finds someone else who owes him an amount of money that would equal three to four months' wages of pay. He grabs him, he begins to choke him and says, Sweet. Pay back everything you owe me. This man falls on his knees and he, and he begs, Please, please have patience with me. I'll pay back everything. Now does this sound familiar? <laughs> I was making sure they were up. Oh, that's just, okay. that's just so wrong. Keep your pants on. Does this sound familiar? I'm going to start crying. Does this sound familiar to you? This is what the guy just said to the king. The other servant says to him. So this guy throws the other guy into debtor's prison so he can pay back the debt. The other servants see this. They see what happened. They went and told the king. The king brings the man back in and he says, Nice to see you again, you wicked servant. <laughs> you should have shown uh, mercy on your servant just like I showed mercy to you. So the jailer took this guy to prison so he could pay back the debt. There was a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date. In the process, he found a servant who owed him 10,000 talents. He said to the man like a Scottish overlord, You owe me 10,000 talents? He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold and he could repay the debt. But the man fell down and begged like a uh, middle-aged peasant. <laughs> oh, king, please be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. The king... Oh, you're oh, great. The king was filled with pity for the man forgave his debt. Now, here's the question. Why does the king forgive the debt? The servant's plea is, be patient and I will pay it back. 
I will work 60 million days. Does the king cancel the debt because of what the servant says? Does the king say, oh, you know what? He'll probably be able to work 60 million days for me. If the king does, he's stupid. Is it good business to forgive the debt? No, it is not. So this servant now goes, finds another servant who owes him three to four months' wages. He grabs this guy and he says in an Irish accent, Irish accent? Uh, Payback with Chihumi. I have no idea. <laughs> Good God. He doesn't have any money. <laughs> Far a little more for a belt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Please, please, just give me more time. Have patience with me and I'll pay back everything. I'll buy you new pants too, I promise. Uh, but the man does not Good allow boy. him any more time. And so he throws him into prison to pay off a debt which could actually happen. Other servants were distressed and told the king, so he drags the one who owes him 10,000 talents back in and he says, You wicked servant, you should have shown mercy like I showed mercy to you. Then the king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid back his entire debt, which is for how long? Ever. Forever. Uh, 60 million days equals about 165,000 years. It's a way of saying forever. Now, why does the servant originally believe that the king forgave him? Why? If it's because something he said, oh, forgive me, oh, I talk so well, oh, look at me, my heart's totally changed, ooh, I, I fooled you. If it's because of something he believes, then he believes the king, er, that he has done, then he believes the king is an idiot because it's an unpayable remount. This is why the servant leaves the king's presence unchanged. He overlooks the grace and the compassion of the king, so he leaves unchanged. Why is the debt forgiven? Because there is something going on inside the king. Inside the king. Double time. There's a man who wants to settle accounts. The process finds a man who owes 10,000 talents, and he says, You owe me 10,000 talents! The master ordered the and his wife, children, all be sold to pay the debt. He said, uh, He pleads with the king. Please be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. The king of pity cancels the debt. Let him go. The man finds another man who owes him three to four months' wages. He grabs him because he choke and says, You owe me! Right about. This man falls on his knees and begs. I need a new belt. Please be patient with me. I, I will pay back everything. But he refused instead and went off and had the man thrown into prison to pay the debt. There were other servants watching who saw all this and they ran and told the king what happened. The king calls the man back in and says, You wicked servant, I'm sick of you. Please uh, wait. You should have shown mercy just like I showed mercy to you. <laughs> so, where does the debt go? Where does the debt go? The king... He has some books. King has some books. Now, when he, when he forgives, what does he do with the book? He tosses the book. He's got his ledger, plus and minus, tosses the book. What happens is that the king forgives the debt. The king forgives the debt. king forgives the debt. How our world works is we have books. We have pluses and minuses. We keep things in our own minds, our own hearts, keeping track of what everybody does against us. The king says, I am no longer in the good business business. If he sticks with this accounting system, the guy is never going to pay it back. The king closes the book and he pays it himself. 
if he stays stuck in the plus and minus, the guy's never going to pay it back. The king eats the debt himself. Jesus tells a story in which the king pays the price, the king bears the cost, and dies the whole system of bookkeeping so a servant can have new life. Forgiveness costs someone something. When we decide to get revenge, we are saying, I'm not paying for this one, you're going to pay for it. And in Esther, 75,000 people die. But forgiveness means someone bears the cost of the wound. Jesus talks about a king who pays the price so a servant may live. Now, if the book is a metaphor for the forgiveness system, I want you to watch the books. Watch the books. There was a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date. In the process, he found a servant who owed him 10,000 talents. And he said, You owe me 10,000 talents. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold until he pay the debt. This is a normal procedure. But the man fell down before the king and he says, Oh, beautiful king who doesn't blink, please be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. The king is then filled with pity for the man. And he forgives the man's debt. This servant now goes out, and he finds another servant who owes him three to four months' wages, which means he also has what? He has a book. He's getting it. I'm getting there. So he has a book, and he's walking around. He's got his book open. And so this guy finds a servant who owes him some money, and he says, Pay back everything you owe me. This servant falls down on his knees to the other servant, and he says, Please, be patient with me. And the man with the open book in his hands looks at this other servant. Hmm. Yeah. And he says, You're going to jail. The king's book has been closed. This servant's book is open and he's clinging to it. Other servants see this. They tell the king what has happened. They drag the one who owes him 10,000 talents back in. And when he's brought to the king again, what's he clinging to? His book. And the king says to this guy, Wait a minute. You wicked servant, you should have shown mercy just like I showed mercy to you. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he could pay back the entire debt. The king chucks the system. The servant clings to the system. And that clinging to it eventually leads him where? Prison and torture. The king says, if you want to carry that book, you want to carry that system with you, by doing it by the book means that you are in prison with that book in your hands. The servant clings to the book when the servant should have been clinging to what? The king's grace. That's what the servant should have been clinging to. So, in your notes this morning, everybody, hopefully you got them, right? I want you to take them, pull them apart, and just stay put them, hold them together, pull them apart. And you have a little fold line in the middle of that. So I want you to fold them both down that fold line. And then you'll have a plus and a minus. I want you to put one in your left hand, one in your right hand. In the back of all the seats in front of you, there are extra pens. So if you don't have one, grab one of those pens out of the seats. See, oh, we get homework in church today. <laughs> no, you just get church work. So grab that pen. And on the one on the left-hand side, I want you to write relationships with others. So your left-hand book, write relationships with others. And then in your right-hand book, I want you to write God. God. Now, in the God book, on the plus column, 
But I want you to write down. So I want you to write down how many times, how, all the things that make God love you. How many times you go to church. All the things you're not addicted to. All the times you didn't call in sick. All the reasons why good people go to heaven. Which is zero. Just in case you were wondering. Write down all those positive things. But on the negative side, and this is something you may not even want to do because people may see it. Write down all the things you do in secret. All the times you gossip. All the times that you think you're right and everybody else around you is wrong. Write down all those things that you do that violate the image of God in you. And you probably want to hide it a little bit because you don't want anybody to really see that. I won't let, give you forever because I know it'll take a real long time to write all that stuff down. Then the one in your left hand. This is relationships with others. I want you to write down in the plus column all those people that, that like you and all the reasons why they like you. Because you're so great and wonderful. You're like a, a Pepsi on a hot day. You know, it's all, the, all those things. And those people like you. And on the left hand column, I want you to write down all those people that have wronged you. All the people that have lied about you or cheated you or slandered you or rolled their eyes at you or given you the cold shoulder. I mean, you can probably write like spouse, 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 all the way down it. Just write that down for a second. Now what I want you to do is I want you to put the books back in your hands, the left and the right hand, like this. I want you to hold them. And I want to ask you a question. Is living by the books an attractive way to live? No, it's not. The man in the story is tortured because of his books. There is a way of life that when we live by these books that keep track and keep score, it ends up in the slaughter of relationships around us. And Esther ends up in the slaughter of 75,000 people. We put people in our own little mental prisons. And sometimes it's not self-defense. It's just simply vengeance. Jesus lumps us in with God and says, You have an unpayable debt. An unpayable debt. And he lumps you in with others and he says, You have wronged other people as well. Books would seem like good business, but it's a form of torture. Hell is these books. And the question becomes, do you want to live in an account ledger relationship with God? The king in the story decides not to live by the books. The man asks for grace. The king gives him grace. That's the gospel. The king tosses out the books. He paid the debt. He forgave. A people who live the gospel are to be those who toss out the books as well. In the book of Esther, the Jews keep score. They go back to what their long-dead king Saul once did, and they said, we'll kill them all, but not take the plunder. That'll make it all right. It was a point system, a plus and a minus. Jesus says the message of the gospel has nothing to do with the point system. But this is something we all learn so young. We learn it from everybody around us. Oh, I keep track, and I keep score, and I keep points. And Jesus wants to set us free from that. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be because you need to understand the grace and forgiveness that is offered to you so you can put down the books and live free. If you are a believer, you need to drop your books and learn how to forgive and live the life Jesus calls you to live. Maybe your spouse has irritated you and you're just keeping all these little things in the back of your mind you're like, oh, they did this and they did this. And you're just angry all the time at them. You need to drop your book and learn how to live free. 
maybe you're, you're a teenager in this room and your parents are always on your case. You're like, oh, and you get so angry and you got all these little things that you're irritated at your parents about. You need to drop the book because you're supposed to live free. By living by the book, you are not free. Maybe you've got some crazy neighbors to live around you. You're like, oh, they're always playing their rock and roll at four in the morning. You know, talk to them. Drop the book. Learn to live free. Maybe you've got some friends who have wronged you. Well, you know what? You probably wronged them at some point as well. Drop the book so you can live free. The children of God are meant to live free. The Jews in Esther were not living free. They were living by the point system. You and I are not supposed to do that. We are supposed to live free. This is why we invite you to communion every single week. Because communion is the place where we remember that our king laid down his life for us. He paid the debt. He paid the cost so that we could live free. That is why you take that cracker and you break it and you dip it the wine of the grape juice that represents his body and his blood that was shed for us so our sins can be forgiven so we can live free. He raises to new life so we can live new life. It is amazing. We worship God through communion. We worship God through prayer. There will be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if you have never met Jesus, if you're just clinging to your books, you need to go and pray with them. If you feel very awkward about going to the back of the, of the hallway when, in the middle of service, when it's done, they will be up here. Grab one of them and go talk with one of them if you need to. We're going to worship God through song and the band's going to come back up. And as they do, we invite you to sing some of these songs with them to allow God to do some work in your heart. Jason's going to come get him. Yeah. Jason's a man. See, look at that. Way better than Caleb. And if you, if God's working on your heart, give him time to do that, and then go and take communion. Sing these songs. Oh, sorry, I'll move out of the way from the podium too. Sing these songs with them. I'm, I'm just all in the way today. I know. It's terrible. Just going to... Yeah. We're going to worship God through giving. There's an offering box on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gives so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. It's part of showing that we put down the books and we worship Him. We're going to worship God through fellowship. There'll be uh, food and stuff in the back, but also through the barbecue we're having today. I mean, if, if you've never been here before, grab one of the maps. Come out to the barbecue. Bring a dessert. <laughs> Get to know some other people. And I guarantee you, at some point, someone will hurt you. But we are called to forgive drop the books, move on, and live free. Because when you hold people in that prison, you are not living the gospel. You are not living as God calls you to live. And we are called to live as free people. So live free and drop the books. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as your people and you would teach us to learn how to forgive. Teach us how to honor you as our great God and as our great King. God, we ask that you would mold our hearts and shape us into the new creation that you called us to be. That we would never shrink back, but would rise up as your people. So the world knows that we live different because of the hope that you have placed within us. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, our great King Jesus, to die and rise those you've called to be your children. And I ask that we would live as those children, dropping the books, 
honoring you. To forgive as our great King has forgiven us. That we would no longer walk around to people and say, pay back what you owe me because you hurt me. But we would say, my God forgave me, I'm going to forgive you. Father, this morning we place ourselves in your hands and and ask that your spirit would convict us and remind us daily to live as those who have dropped the books and bring you glory by our lives. Amen.